everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, Master Bladesmiths and our favorite sharp stuff. But I do think that you should suffer. To a healthy amount of suffering is good for you in learning. I think that a lot of people who are first starting out get down on themselves too quickly about their progress that they're making because if you were to look back at my progress, it's pretty horrible compared to a lot of people's. So when steel is red hot, it is rapidly oxidizing, just like rust. But that rust is, like I said, quickly, rapidly peeling off of the hot steel and it falls onto you. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So our first guest has a fascinating story because not only does he do something that is just incredibly interesting on how this gets done, but he's also somebody that has gotten so good at his craft that his knives and axes sell for thousands of dollars and he's a forged and fire champion. But before any of that, he spent years failing over and over and over again. This is Master Bladesmith, Liam Hoffman. How did you get started in this? What drew you to blacksmithing? Uh, simply boredom. Uh, you know, I'm in the mountains of North Carolina and right on the Tennessee-North Carolina line. So there's, it's either you're growing up, it's either drugs or something creative pretty much because there's no nightlife or anything like that. So you just have to find things to do. And I, um, when I was young, about 13 years old, I started hammering on a piece of steel not knowing what I was doing, and then it just evolved from there. When was when did you make like what would you would call your first real blade? Probably not till I got out of high school. So I had, which was probably seven years ago or so. I had been blacksmithing for around four years before I got out of high school. So I had, I wasn't very proud of what I was doing until probably five or six years in. Does that now is that normal for a lot of people? I mean, does it usually take that much time? No, no. A lot of people are really confused when they hear me talk about that because a lot of people see what I'm doing now and then they just assume that I started that way or it was like really quick for me. But there are so many people that are beginners who are coming up to me now, like wanting me to look at their work. They've been doing bladesmithing or blacksmithing for a few months and their work is better than mine was four years in. And uh, I had a very slow uh, start to do it to it and then it uh picked up exponentially why how come this how come the start was so slow i would say mainly because i was just so ignorant about everything i was 13 years old and i'm also very shy uh so as a kid i wasn't very outgoing towards adults who may have known more about blacksmithing than me so i was pretty sheltered in what i knew about everything tool knowledge how to use normal tools or how to um ask someone for advice. So, and it wasn't until I got out of high school that I started really like getting more exposed to the blacksmithing community and, and taking off from there. I guess I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how old you are, but I guess this is kind of before like the YouTube era where you could essentially just look, Google it and figure out pretty no, much everything, right? No, I was, I'm 20, I just turned 25. So when I was in high school, I had the YouTube, all the, all that type of information. And so I was just, trial and error trying to figure things out but maybe i'm just uh not as good as a lot of other people and it, that's why it took me so long but um i think that a lot of people who are first starting out get down on themselves too quickly about their progress that they're making because if you were to look back at my progress it's pretty horrible compared to a lot of people's in terms of like the technical aspects, like you didn't get it, the forge wasn't hot enough, you didn't hit it with another enough strikes, or you didn't have like the artistic capabilities. I didn't know what good work was supposed to look like, which is what I've I've told a lot of people before is that you don't know what good work looks like if you don't know what good work looks like. If you have no example, then you don't know what you're striving for. I say it's a lot easier to tell in person what work should look like when you get to hold a knife that's made by a master than to see something on YouTube. 99% of blacksmiths or knife makers that you're going to meet are like top notch guys. They're going to share everything with you. They're going to invite you in. They're going to cook for you. They're going to um, 
camp out with you, hang out with you and, and share everything with you. And I wasn't really exposed to that early on. Do you think looking back on it, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I don't necessarily think that that specifically was either a good or a bad thing, but I do think that you should suffer to a healthy amount of suffering is good for you in learning. Uh, I, when I'm teaching people, I often try to show them the wrong way to do something so that they then understand the right way to do something. If you're only shown the right way to do something, then you don't actually understand why that's the right thing. So it's important to go through hardships and suffer and make mistakes. And then you can say, oh, I, I know why that's a mistake. I know not to do that. I know not to do this. I know how that mistake happens. And now I know how to prevent it. So that, so that we have a better understanding of the difference between something that you make and something that we can go to target and buy, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's, what's the difference between a knife or an ax that you make and something that I can go pick up for even like a high quality something like I'm paying a hundred bucks for this kitchen knife. Like what's mm. the difference? Basically everything, every single part of it, a hundred knives, uh, sorry, a hundred dollars for a kitchen knife is not a lot of money. Um, maybe for target it is, but, uh, my kitchen knives aren't insanely expensive, but bladesmiths who specialize in high end kitchen knives. I mean, you're talking about a three to 10 plus thousand dollar kitchen knife, not a hundred dollar or a $300 kitchen knife. And so, so when I say everything is different, I'm talking about the, the shape, the design, the geometry of the cross section, which is the cutting edge, the spine, the types of bevels, whether it's a flat grind, a convex grind, a hollow grind, a combination of a hollow grind or a flat grind, uh, the ergonomics of the handle, if it's an integral style handle, if it's a full tang, if it's hidden tang type handle, there's everything, the materials, the heat treating, which is the way that you process the material. And then of course, just the design, the design, the ergonomics of the knife is everything is different about it. And then when prices go up from there, you're mainly looking at brand and reputation because with high-end blacksmithing, high-end knife making, it is art. So you are paying for not just a utilitarian functional piece. You're paying for someone's brand, someone's art, someone's reputation, someone's experience. Is it like one of the things, if if I did a blind test and I pick up your knife and I pick up somebody else's knife, like the, the mass produced one. Am I noticing the difference? Like, Oh my, that's, that's oh, yeah. the second I pick it up. Really? Yeah. You should be able to. Yeah. It, it's it just pretty different. The feel of it, the weight of it or all of the above, all of the above. Yeah. Without even looking, if you were in a blind test, I think that someone would be able to tell the difference between most production knives and most custom high end knives course there's going to be some knives you know on the spectrum that might be closer to others but there really is a huge difference between a an actual masterfully made high quality knife and a factory made knife that's i guess that's kind of surprising to me because i would be under the impression that like a computer can do just about everything better than a human like we haven't figured out a computer program that can design a knife that's better than one that that you can make yet That's not necessarily it. So there's, yes, maybe we have the capability of doing it, but is that profitable? Is, uh, and then if you take, like we were just talking about the functionality aspect out of it, you have art, you have brand, you have reputation, and that's not something that the computer has. It's not personable. So um, people will spend X amount of money on my knives and axes, not just because the axe or the knife is good, but because people because I made it because it's one of my axes. Are we better at this? Like blacksmithing as a whole, are we better at this now than we were a thousand years ago? Or did we kind of have to relearn this skill? Better in what way? I don't, I don't even know enough about it to even clarify it, I guess. So I would, yeah. So I would say that, um, shoot, I don't know. Uh, in terms of technological, uh, metallurgical processes were better now, 100%. Uh, so when you when you heat treat a piece of steel, that means that you you change 
the properties of that steel. So you can have a piece of what's called high carbon steel, and that steel can be in a annealed state, which is a soft state. I could bend it over my knee if I had enough leverage, uh, or that steel could be in a um, hardened and tempered state, which uh, would be total opposite of that. That same piece of steel could be hard enough to hold a knife edge. So, and, and then of course you have different alloys of steel. There's hundreds of different types of steel, which is like, it's like a recipe. It's like baking. You have iron carbon and manganese are your three main ingredients. And then you can add other elements to that. And they didn't have that back then. So I would say that modern day steel selection and our understanding of how to heat treat steel is far better than it was just a hundred years ago, much less 500 years ago. But in terms of the artistry, I honestly haven't seen any advancement there. Maybe a uh, maybe we've degraded. You can look at pieces from 300 years ago, especially in the Middle East area, that are more ornate than... I, I, I find it difficult for me to think of someone off the top of my head, a modern day maker, that could make some of these pieces that were made 300 years ago without electricity. So I don't think that we have gotten any better in terms of uh, what I would consider craftsmanship. I don't, I don't know how much of like a historian of blacksmithing you are, but was the art ever kind of lost? Yeah. Right. Like we had to relearn how to do these things. Absolutely. Um, I'm not much of a historian on blacksmithing, but I do know that uh, there was kind of a lull between early 1900s and the 1980s where we got really into mass production um, importing and that type of thing where the blacksmith was like a thing of the past. It was obsolete and there was a long period of time, probably close to 60 years where no one was really into blacksmithing as a hobby or anything. It was just seen as like this old thing that you don't, what's the point in it? And then there was uh, something that people call like the blacksmith renaissance in the 1980s and there was a resurgence of guys and men and women that came forth and became, began blacksmithing again. And they did have to relearn a lot of things and dig up a lot of things. And then there was another lull again until about uh, seven, eight years ago. And it's just exploded. Like say you're, you're, you're going to make a knife or an ax. Um, how, how long of, of a process are we talking for you to make one? Depends on what type of, um, axe. So if I'm making like a production axe, it takes a lot less time than if I'm doing a custom type of axe, a one-off type of axe. So when people come to order an axe from us, we have um, a catalog of products. There's like eight different models, for instance, that you can order. If someone comes to me and says, I want this axe to have this specific shape with this specific length handle, I, I won't do that type of thing. So you can either order what's on my website or you can't or, or go elsewhere uh, because I'm not interested in doing custom types of work. But whenever I get spare time away from production, that's when I can be more creative and just make whatever I want to make. And I call that like a one-off type piece. People would see that more of like as an art piece, a collector's piece, something that's more desirable. And an axe like that or a knife like that could take anywhere from not very long at all, which I would consider maybe eight hours to it, it could, you could be talking about a 60 to 80 hour project. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. Yeah. Bring it on. What is the most important tool in your workshop? The forge, because you can't do anything without steel being hot. Um, there's lots of alternatives to an anvil or tongs or a hammer, but uh, you, there's not many alternatives to a forge which is what heats and the steel up. How many times a day or week do you think to yourself, man, this forge is hot? <laughs> um, pro probably at least, I don't know. It, it's always hot. The other day it was 105 degrees and, and that's, that's with like ambient temperature outside being 75. It's not hot where I live. If I, I couldn't imagine if I was on the, on the, in a desert or down in like Texas or Florida or something, that'd be so horrible. But even in my climate where it's not that hot, it's like over a hundred degrees with humidity also on top of that in the summer. And, and yeah, it's, it's hot as it's horrible. You burn yourself too. 
like the, I mean, is is getting burned something that's going to happen pretty much all the time? Yeah, yeah or is you can't it, avoid is it. Anything ever like really serious? Mm, no, not that serious. I have all my digits and everything, but yeah, I've gotten burned really bad lots of times. Just from like a spark coming off, or uh, sparks aren't sparks aren't going to hurt you. It, it's what's called the most common type of burn is going to be from something called scale, which is. Uh, it's a flakes of steel that come off of the workpiece while it's hot. So when steel is red hot, it is rapidly oxidizing just like rust, but that rust is, like I said, quickly, rapidly peeling off of the hot steel and it falls onto you. And that oxidation is called scale and that scale is very hot. And it, it is a, almost every time you forge, you're going to get a scale burn. Were you more excited or nervous when you got the call from Forged in Fire? Well, I've had multiple calls from them. The first couple I wasn't interested at all in doing because I didn't think that I was good enough to make myself look good on TV. I, I knew that if I was going to go on the on TV on Forged in Fire, I, I needed to be confident in myself and be ready for it. I wasn't just going to jump into it. So I had a, a couple calls uh, the first couple seasons that they aired. And then the, the, the call that I decided to go on to the show, um, I was, I was more excited than I was nervous. Um, I don't get super nervous with a lot of things and I prepared myself really well. I'm pretty logical and methodical. So like, I, I mean, I trained, I had all these scenarios in my head. I, I was, I like, I was there to win it. I was there, I was there to, uh, not play around. So I wasn't super nervous about it. I knew what I could do and uh, I was just excited to try and win it. And, and you ultimately won it. What did that kind of, what did that do for your business? Uh, nothing but good. So before, before I was on the show, my business was already doing really well. I think we had like a 10 month backlog before I went onto the show and then I went onto the show and it's just been ridiculous ever since what is the most durable thing you've ever cut through the most durable thing i think this is i could get into this a little bit but like a common misconception when uh, a marketing a marketing trick that knife companies or, or knife makers will use is to take a knife that seemingly shouldn't cut through something and then cut through that object like cutting through a nail with a knife and everyone's like oh wow cut through a nail with a knife and uh you can change how durable a blade is based on the geometry or the thicknesses in the cross section of the edge of the knife. And so what that means is that I could take a chef's knife, which is supposed to be really good at cutting tomatoes, which is a difficult thing to cut well. And I could change the angle that I sharpen it at to be able to cut through a nail. But does that mean it's going to actually work well as a kitchen knife? No, it's going to suck. So it's like a marketing misconception scam when you see someone cutting through some like crazy object. So I don't have anything that I'm like, Oh, wow, I can't believe I cut through this crazy hard object or anything like that. It's more like, okay, if I make an ax that's designed to do this specific task and it does that specific task, well, that's what I'm proud of. Or if I take a chef's knife and it, I would say one thing that I was really proud of was taking a chef's knife and cutting through a tomato uh, without holding the tomato in my hands, cutting through it horizontally on a table without the tomato moving. That's a really difficult task because the knife has to be thin enough and have the right geometry to it. This kind of segues a little bit into that. How do you feel watching those infomercials on TV where they advertise knives? <laughs> uh, it's just, I don't even know how to react to that. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's just a joke. Are you like, what, what irritates you about it? You're like, Oh, that's not the right handle. There's no way that blade can do that. Like, what are you muttering to the person next to you about that infomercial? It's not, it's just not even worth your breath. It's just, it's all just horrible. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. Yeah. It's just like for, uh, uneducated, uh, consumers that, like I said, it's like a gimmick. It, it looks good if you don't know. But then when you know, it's like, this is just so bad in so many ways. What blacksmithing item do you enjoy making the most? Um, I would say axes, axes and knives. 
I, I like forging axes and I like the finish work on knives more. So like knife making, high-end bladesmithing is not a lot of forging. It's more finish work. It's the sanding, the grinding, the woodworking, the polishing, the elegant shaping. Um, whereas axe making is primarily, this, the primary skill lies in the forging, not as much the finishing. So if, if I'm talking about what I like to forge most, it's probably going to be an axe because it's more interesting, more difficult. A knife, uh, not as much of a challenge to forge, but it is a lot more involved in the finish work. Most expensive knife you make, or most expensive item you make, least expensive item you make? Like least expensive axe that I make um, is, I think, around $220. And that would, that's like a 12-inch long little camping axe. Uh, the most expensive thing that I've sold, which was actually just recently, like uh, a couple weeks ago, was a knife uh, for $7,250. And that was a um, hunting, small hunting type knife, but it had uh, in custom engraving work on it that was not actually done by me. It was done by a friend of mine named, um, uh, his Instagram name is The Hand Engraver. His name is Evan Watson. Um, and then I, I had a, a fancy handle on it. And it was one of those things where this knife was, it was actually the last of this design that I was ever making. So that increased its value. My prices can range anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to around $8,000 right now. Last two from me. What is your favorite historical um, sword, knife, or axe? Hmm. Uh, I would have to put it in like a category of Persian, uh, Persian style knives from the late 1700s or mid 1800s. Those are to me the most ornate, beautiful shaped, detailed knives that, uh, that I've seen. Favorite fictional one. I don't know. I, I'm not much of a fantasy knife guy. Uh, and I get a lot of requests for fantasy types of swords and knives from like video games and stuff, but I've never really, never really been interested in that. So I don't think I have a favorite one. We do have a question that says, how do you feel about lightsabers? Lightsabers? <laughs> I feel like that would be great if, if it was real. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be super helpful. I, I think in a lot of ways. You could definitely make stuff a lot faster, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I could cut yeah, through stuff. Easier. I could heat up stuff. It'd be great. But would that hurt your business, though? Because <laughs> I'd have a hard time buying a knife if I could buy a lightsaber. I'm going to be honest with you. Right. Um, I mean, people's probably still going to want a knife or an axe for the novelty, even if they can cut a tree in half with a lightsaber and be faster. Yes, and you are a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I missed this one. Do you have time for one more? Yeah. What advice would you give to a young blacksmith? Somebody just starting out. I would say to um, not lose sight of the big picture. Be persistent. Do not give up so easily. And um, understand that suffering is just part of the process. And it's going to help you in the long run. Uh, that's all the questions I got, man. Is there anything else you think that we missed? Or what's kind of coming up next for you? Um, just... I'm just constantly busy. Got lots of stuff going on. Uh, I would say that if, if anyone wants to find out the types of things that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, you can follow me on Instagram, which is Hoffman Blacksmithing. Or uh, on Facebook, we have a closed Facebook group, also Hoffman Blacksmithing. I want to thank Liam so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram. And we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. All right, do you think that you would be better off like two or three hundred years ago? Like, do you think that you would be better off in old-timey times than you are now? No, not old-timey times. I would say I'd be better off in uh, probably 80 years ago, you know, like the 30s and 40s. Why do you think that you would be better off in like the 30s and the 40s then? Just uh, just I like to think I have a relatively old school mindset for most things um, in terms of just uh, of thought. 
either way, I don't think I would have done very well hundreds of years ago. No. See, I would like to go back to like ancient Rome. I think I would be, I think I would be pretty much the same if I could go all the way back to like that time period, but anything up before that or after that, I wouldn't want to go back to simply because it seems like, I mean, the Middle Ages seemed like a pretty awful time for everybody. Like, that just seems like that was really awful. <laughs> I mean, we think we're going through a pandemic now. Should You know, shit, back then, pandemics would take out half the population. <laughs> you yeah. just got it. Like, there was no question. Like, oh, yeah, he's dead. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure people back then would have gladly taken the vaccine. But that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. That's a whole nother conversation. Like I said, I, I'm not even a big fan of camping. I don't know how I would have done, uh, you know, sleeping on the dirt or, you know, not on a mattress, uh, no air conditioning. It just all sounds terrible to me. For me, it's really based around the idea of heat, right? Like I wouldn't want to go back any farther because you don't have air conditioning and they just had to wear so much clothes. Like you ever watch like Westerns and stuff like they had so much clothes on. They had to be hot as shit all the time. That sounds awful to me. But I always wonder, kind of like my dinosaur thought, right? Because there's not a whole lot of recorded history from, I mean, there is, but there isn't. I mean, do we actually think that cowboys dressed in, you know, the way that we portray them? Or has that been twisted and turned? Well, I mean, number one, we have books. People wrote books. They tend to record history. No one fucking reads books. Well, nobody now, but people in the past used to read books, and they, I believe they, you know, they talked about things like that. I'm just, I'm just saying, no, you know, it's a, I'm in a ranty mood for some reason today, so we should just, you know. That's that's fine. That's fine. But all right, let's continue then. Let's go ahead and get your shout out so you can do some more ranting about stuff. <laughs> We're already um, moving on. All right. I like it. Uh, let's skip some shout outs here. We'll start off with uh, Nathan Cannon. Uh, awesome, awesome handle, by the way. Fire Lord. I appreciate that for whatever reason. Um, Okay, let's imagine, though, that like we got sent back. You got sent back a thousand years. How long do you think before? How long would you live? Why would would you cut me off during my shout outs? That's so annoying. I just I just thought about that right now. Like if you were transported back to the year 1021, how long do you think you live? Maximum 34 years, probably. Oh, I was going to say, I don't think I would live more than. I'd probably be dead within three weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like if me right now, back then, I yeah, I would say, well, I'd give myself two years before I pass away. Okay, maybe I should frame this a different way. Imagine like the apocalypse hits and we lose all of the technology that we have acquired over the last thousand years. Now, how long are you living? I'm still going to say a year or two years, I think. Oh, I don't think so, dude. I think I, I think I could survive without technology. Like You can't count on other people, though. You're not counting on other people. I mean, listen, I'm, I got a little vegetable garden growing out back. I'll find a way to get water. We'll be fine. Dude, first of all, if the apocalypse hits, you live in Detroit. You're not making it more than three <laughs> days. You fucking yeah. know that. Yeah, that city true. is going to burn itself to the ground. <laughs> Listen, you're almost as bad. There's a lot of negative headlines coming out of Seattle uh, lately. Seattle. So. Yeah, Seattle's not. <laughs> Look, anybody in a major city is probably dead within the first three days. Let's let's be. No, that's not true. If the apocalypse hits and you're in a major U.S. city, you're probably dead within. You're probably dead within two weeks. Right. I mean, that's just full on anarchy in that city. I mean, it's 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 going to be the purge without any kind of rules whatsoever. Everyone's going to take each yeah. other out. OK, but imagine you're in a rural area where you're not just immediately killed by your neighbor. I mean, to be honest, I think I'd rather be in the city than out in the country. But if if I'm just going with that scenario, I'm still going to say my 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 mat, like my dead set, you know, deadline or whatever would be a year to two years wherever I am. I think that if I'm in the city and you can survive the kind of initial onslaught, then you could really you could live for a pretty good amount of time simply because think of how many like perishable goods are in a city. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can live off of canned food for essentially if you can survive the initial onslaught, it's better to be in a city. Really, what you'd want to do is be in the country and then go to the city. <laughs> I just wouldn't want to be in the country. Imagine how scary as fuck that would be. 
like knowing, you know, the, the end of the world is here and like you're just on a little country farm out in the middle of nowhere and you know you have to leave at some point to, to get things or to harvest stuff, like no way, man. I'd rather just be in the thick of it. Yeah, that is true, actually, if you think about it. Because let's say you survive the initial onslaught on the country farm, but you're going to have to leave eventually. You don't have like the technology, really. You, you're just having – you're not a farmer. You, you don't know how to grow your own goods or whatever, and you're just out there in the country. You know you got to go to the city, and you don't know what you're in for, right? Like you're, you don't know what you're getting into. If you survive the initial onslaught and you're in the city, you at least are prepared. Yeah, there's lots of basements to hide into. There's a lot of there's just a lot more like what right. you said earlier. A lot more stores, yeah. a lot more everything. It's probably overall better to be in the city. I would say. So. Okay, let's go ahead and finish your shout outs. <laughs> I never really got started. So we're just, you know, because I'm sure Nathan Cannon is a devoted uh listener. We'll start with him yet again. So thank you Nathan Cannon. Uh Kinsey, Patrick McKinnon, uh Muhammad Shafir. Dylan, just Dylan, uh, Adam Quinn, Mervin, Jesse Hardenbrook, Ivan Serrano. For some reason, when I when I was writing that out, I, I kept thinking of Ivan Drago. So, but uh, and then uh, ending here with Zia Shoji. Appreciate all of you that uh, checked us out last week, and hopefully you do moving forward. Uh, all right, so uh, a couple of I think I got a couple of good questions again for you. Uh, the first okay. one is, um, would you ba- rather be known as one of the greatest porn stars or one of the greatest of all time athletes? Well, greatest of all time athletes, dude. Like you get paid way more as one of the greatest of all time athletes. I don't know a single, listen, <laughs> I don't know a single male paint porn star. I couldn't name you a single one. Maybe Johnny Sins. <laughs> Simply because I saw a video of him playing basketball, and he apparently he can really play basketball. He's really good, but I don't know any male porn stars. Okay, I, I could I could probably name. I'm thinking of three that I could name. I think, but yes. Yeah. And even though, like, is okay. Here's the thing: at some point, any job becomes a job. Sure. No matter if you're the most. Except for probably a sports person, except for like an an athlete, right? Because you're essentially just playing a game all day. But anything else, whether you're any other job like acting, porn star, anything like that, it becomes a job. Like, what am I going to do today? Well, I'm going to go into the studio, right? And I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to pound out for like 30 minutes, and then I'm going to go home. I got other stuff to do. <laughs> I, it is a job. It's not like oh. There was I can't remember the name of of the the porn star, but there was an HBO documentary about about that business, and uh, it, it did not look very easy if you're the man, like having to do certain things or like hold it for a certain amount of time, and like it just looked like like you just said, it looked like a a lot more of a job than enjoyment. I don't think they get paid very well. I don't think they get paid nearly as much as the women. I, I guess I didn't do enough research. I, I would just think if you're the greatest of all time or one of them uh, on that level, I feel like you would have made some money at some point. Well, here's the thing, right? Like think of the greatest porn star of all time is probably Ron Jeremy. He doesn't look like his life is so great for him right now. <laughs> oh, see, I no, I, I would argue against it that he's not the greatest. Maybe maybe male for sure, but not, not female. It probably goes to uh, – and I can I can just feel like everyone that's out there listening that's just calling us idiots right now, but uh, I would probably say Pamela Anderson Leeds probably doesn't seem like it's going that well for her either right now, does it? <laughs> I mean, no, I. But we're not talking about like, well, okay, yeah, right. Like, name me the yeah. famous porn star that twenty years later <laughs> seems like it's going pretty well. Yeah. For her. Yeah, that's man. Yeah, that's that's the difficult part of it. And the question is, is that something that, that is unique to them or is that something that is standard across the industry? We're going to have to interview some, but one of them one time, <laughs> one time we'll actually find out. All right, what's your next thing? Uh, would you rather uh, be, be misunderstood after death or forgotten after you die? Oh, well, it's kind of really the same thing if you think about it, though, right? Like if people don't really understand who you were, they've kind of forgotten about you. 
it's kind of the same thing if you think about it, right? Like, even mm. if you're well known, but it well known as an image. Okay, think about somebody who's like a a celebrity actor or something like that, and people remember you in a certain way, but that's not really who you were. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I feel like a lot of people are 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 not understood, and then years after they die, books come out or info information comes out about their lives, and then you kind of start to understand whatever they were doing, whether it's an athlete or a politician or whoever, uh, you know, you get a better idea of them. I, I think honestly, I would rather be forgotten because we don't have to go into it. This isn't supposed to be kind of a sob story, but I've had a couple of people in my life recently who have either died or been in significant enough act- accidents that they've been close to, to death. And friends of mine have been like, oh, did you hear about this one? He was such a great guy. He was such a great person. And I'm just kind of like, no, they weren't. They were fucking asshole. Like you didn't like this person when they were alive. Why are we suddenly pretending like they were some great person just because they're dead? I would rather have friends of mine and people who know me be like, you know what? Nick's dead. And I never fucking liked that guy. And I'm glad he's dead. Then be like, then pretend like I was something that I was not. I would rather have people honestly remember me. I feel like everybody would say what you just said, but I feel like most don't. Like, they'll just say that as where with you, because I know you, I truly believe it. But I feel like a lot of people say that just to say that. Oh, I could see that a little bit. Like, you know, I, 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 when I die, I don't care what people think of me, but you know, then they go throughout their life saying, you know, man, when I die, I hope people, you know, come to my funeral or eulogize me or whatever, you know, think of me as a good person, even though I spent 50 years as a bad person. I've delivered some eulogies and I have been honest in each one of them. <laughs> oh my God. I really but hope in, that I, I don't go before you because I, I don't want you to even have the opportunity to deliver one at mine. I would say this about you if I was going to give you your eulogy. I would say that John was a likable guy, but man, he had some dumb opinions sometimes, right? <laughs> And people would know that that was the truth, right? I think that you can tell the truth about people. And that way they could remember you as you actually were as a person. But I'm of the belief that people's people's problems and the bad things about them and their imperfections are really what's interesting. I mean, I feel like I need to go back to the dumb opinions part, but we'll just we'll just put that under the rug, I guess. Um, you have some ridiculous opinions, dude. You know you fucking do. I will. Uh, I will agree with you. That yes, I, I believe every the struggle with everybody is usually a lot more interesting than people's successes. Right, because right. we're all struggling. So it's nice to know that this person is struggling too at the same time. It actually brings a commonality about people. Except for assholes who get to go into space just because they have a lot of money. Oh boy, here we go. Here Anyways, we go. all right. Space uh, no, 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 no. Uh, all right. So uh, for our current events, there's a stupid ass. I don't. I'm not on TikTok, but I got sent this video like three times this week about uh, her name is at Sam Ramsdale. Apparently, she has uh, been dubbed having the biggest mouth in the entire world. And apparently she spent the pandemic um, uh, sticking things in her mouth and proving it's gigantic. Well, she just released a video about her sticking an entire um, carton of large French fries from McDonald's in her mouth all at once. To me, that's not that impressive. I feel like if you can stick, uh, you know, a, a cantaloupe in there, now that's something, you know, that's impressive. But. French fries, they're mushy. You can mush them. Like, it's not that impressive. Well, I mean, look, you know why men are f- watching that video, right? You know what they're thinking about. 100%. They're not actually like, oh, hey, can you fit this in your mouth? <laughs> oh, I'm really, <laughs> I mean, wow, you got all those French fries. I was definitely just wanting to see if you could fit French fries in your mouth. <laughs> That's not why people are watching that video. Oh, you well, understand this, correct? Well, it's why I was watching the video. But I actually like. That's yeah. what happens as you get older. Like you're legitimately just watching to see if somebody can do that. I mean, I'm not, I haven't seen this. I don't, is her mouth legitimately that big or is she like just able to unhinge her jaw? Like some kind of boa constrictor. I mean, it's, it's pretty big. I mean, it's, it's, it's a big mouth, but I, I feel What's like the if, name of this person, Sam Ramsdell. 
But I honestly... Oh, by the way, profoundly pointless is on TikTok, if anybody... We actually post some kind of interesting stuff. Yeah, see? It's, uh, I was really just Sam, giving a plug for it. S-A-M Ramsdale. Del. Okay, okay. Oh, she does have a pretty big mouth. <laughs> Holy crap. She does have a huge fucking mouth. But it's also kind of proportionate. It's not ridiculous. She just, when she opens it, oh... <laughs> uh, for people who may be listening, S A M R A M S D E. Oh God, D E L. Oh, she does have a huge mouth. Good for her. <laughs> Think about that. For her entire life, she has been ridiculed, and people have said something about how big her mouth is. And then one day, a social media platform rises, and she is suddenly potentially followed by millions of people, and has an opportunity to make money off the fact that she, one day. This huge foible that you have could somehow pay off for you, and you could just change like fucking that. All her life made fun of for her big-ass mouth, and then one day she's like, oh, yeah? Watch this. Let me cash this check for this big mouth I got. Good for her, man. Oh, well, I wish I had a hidden I'm, talent. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got to experience that with you for the first time. Thank you. We all appreciate that. She does have that. a big-ass mouth. I wish I had a hidden talent, man. Oh, boy. All right. Can we go on to the top five here? I'm getting hungry. Dude. Uh, okay. All right. So our top five, because we interviewed a bladesmith slash blacksmith. I, you know what you would be if we went back into the old Western days? John would be the shopkeep. In a, like, you would be the shopkeep. You wouldn't own the shop, but people would come in and they'd be like, Hey, John, you get this thing I ordered? And then you would turn around and you'd have one of those shirts on that has the thing on that like holds up the little, not suspenders, but you know what I'm talking about? It's got the thing around the arms. That's ridiculous. I don't know if that's accurate. That's exactly what you would be. You would be a shopkeep back in the Old West. You'd be a stable boy. No, I know. I'd be taking tickets at the train. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I could see you being a ticket taker. Yeah, I would take tickets at the train. Okay, so our top five is top five sharp objects in your house. Top five shop are top five sharp objects. What's your number five? Uh, so I had to go with uh, an axe. You have to put it on. I feel. I want to, man. I I like an axe. If I could walk around and use an axe for like daily activities, like okay, time to cut this sandwich in half, like chop it with an axe, I would absolutely use an axe. But it's just not practical enough for me. Like, how many times have you been in your doing something? You're like. I need the axe. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that it's used sparsely, but man, when it's used, it's awesome. It's fun, but you don't you you have to think of a reason to use it rather than the reason to use it presenting itself to you. I listen. I I feel like it has to be on the list, and I but it can't be any higher than four. So I put it as number five. Okay. How do you feel about a hatchet? Would you put a hatchet lower than an axe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a hatch is just a mini axe, man. Give me the full on thing. I need the, you know, I need the. the oh, I don't know about that. Big the, side. The, yeah, that no, the hatchet is more useful than the axe. Give me the Think axe. About it. I, I agree with you, but just give me the axe, please. Say that'd be awesome to kind of walk around with an axe. Uh, my number five is uh, nail clippers. <laughs> Are those sharp? I don't even. They cut through fucking nails. What do you mean they're sharp? You ever cut your finger with one of those things? Those bad boys are sharp. No, I have never. No. You'll you have to forgive me, though. I don't use nail clippers. So. Oh, right. I can't believe they're not higher on, higher on your list because for people who may, may not have listened to this podcast regularly, John cuts his nails twice a week. <laughs> I do. It is what it is, man. I don't, I don't like fingernails. Thank you for remembering, by the way. That means a lot to me. Right. I'm really surprised at this point you haven't cut down like your actual fingers and you don't have fingers left anymore because that's a ridiculous amount of nail clipping. You know that, right? I, I yeah, I of course I know it, but it's just one of my things, I guess. I don't I don't know how to describe it. How did you not put nail clippers on the list then? I just didn't I think just, they were sharp enough. No, nah, I just don't think they're sharp enough. Okay, all right. What's your number four? Uh, I have uh, just shears, like outside shears Ooh. or kitchen shears. Okay. Do you have scissors on your list? I do, yes. Okay. 
Yeah, I could see shears. Those are pretty useful. Yeah. Especially outside. Yep. I mean, not all of us have a blowtorch to take care of our weeds and things. So, Oh, God, it's awesome. You got to get yourself one, dude. It's pretty tight. (laughs) Honey, I lit the house on fire again. I'm sorry. See, but that's not how you do it. I have for to, to fill people in, like I have a propane, uh, an attachment that hooks up to a propane tank that you can just basically burn your weeds out. But you're not actually lighting the weeds on fire. You're not burning them. You're killing them with the heat and then they shrivel up. So as soon as the weed starts to shrivel, you stop. Oh. Because if you actually continue to burn it, it goes into like a super dormant reflex and will come back. You kill them with the heat. You don't burn them. It's very different. Well, that's interesting. very different. Shears are probably here's the thing, man. This is this is if you're talking about doing work outside, shears are more useful than shears are pretty high up there. Yeah, more they're more useful yeah. than an axe. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yep, for sure. Yeah. What's your number four? Saw. Okay. See, I, I didn't put a saw, and I'm, uh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to amend my list for my number three, I think. But yeah. My my number three, I'm gonna put like a power saw. Oh no, dude, you gotta go. Ha- I would go hand. I don't think that the power saw is up there. Now, granted, it's more useful, but it's the mobility problem of it that you have. Hand the hand saw is more useful than the, the power saw. Power saw gets the job done better, but it's not as the mobility isn't there. You can't just go everywhere. No, I'm, I'm gonna stick with it. I like the power saw. I use. I've. I can't tell you the last time I used a hand saw because I have a chainsaw, yeah. but I have you know. I uh, oh, I you have a chainsaw. I do have a chainsaw. Yeah. Now I would have I tell accepted you that, to me in my mind. I would have taken chainsaw over saw. That's a good one. Now, if you said chainsaw, I wouldn't have argued with you. I'd have been like, "Ooh, that's a good one. I should have put that." But since you said power saw, I'm going to argue with you. I still get a little nervous every time I I, I turn on the chainsaw. Like it's one of those oh, things yeah. that, like, you know, I'm yeah, like, oh. you got to watch it. Yeah. See, I'm left. See, because I'm left-handed. And so I don't know if this is true. I just remember somebody quoting this to me one time that a, that a left-handed person is something like 300,000 times more likely to die using a chainsaw because if it kicks back, it kicks back at you as opposed to, right? If you're on your right hand, it kicks back, it kicks back away from you. But if you have it on the other side, it kicks back because of the direction of the saw, it kicks back into you. I guess so you're something like 300,000 times more likely to die with a chainsaw because you're left-handed. So I, I'm wary of them. Well, you should try them all the time. Uh, what's your number three? Box cutter. Damn, that's a good one. I did not think of yeah, a box dude, cutter. That's a fucking good one. Yeah, that takes your list wins automatically because of that. Bo- the box Man, cutter, it's 100%. It's uh, Yeah, yep, that's good. That's a good one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the difficulty. You can't beat it. Damn. That's probably the most useful not commonly used sharp object because anything else on my list is just way too, you use it too much, but the box cutter, when you need the box cutter, you're yeah. like, fuck. Yeah. I would imagine our one and two are, should be the same. I would think like, you know, maybe mixed up, yeah. but so. yeah, no, I would agree. Okay. What's your number two? So my number two, I put like uh like a kitchen knife. Ooh, that means our number two and one is the same. Okay. We have the same mindset, right? Can I go ahead? Do you want to say him or do you want me to say it? You can say it. You sound better. A kitchen knife, my number two, and then your number one is scissors, correct? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah, scissors. Because the problem is, is that you can you can accomplish anything with a knife. You can accomplish anything with scissors that you could with a knife. It might take you longer, but you can still do it. Yeah. Knife can't accomplish with scissors. Like you're not cutting paper with a knife. <laughs> no, you're not. Not at all, actually. It has to be scissors. Okay. And then yeah. I I tr- I tried formulating a uh, some kind of honorable mention. I don't really have much, man. To be honest. I don't. I'm trying to think of some other potentially sharp objects in the house that you could use. Um, I depending on depending on what kind of a system you got there, an edger slash weed whacker. Like if you had a blood. <laughs> I thought about that, or like a lawnmower, but like I mean, you know. Well, I mean, a lawnmower's got a blade. Yeah. I would have to say that honorable mention. You're talking an edger if it's not the little whipper, and a lawnmower. Yeah. For sure. What else is sharp? Anything a pizza else cutter. Oh, but I mean, you know, you know the thing that that that's always scared me is that thing that they have. They used to have at schools or like offices where it, it it's like a little table, but it's got the big blade, and you lift it up and then shoo, cut all the paper. 
Yeah, that's actually a good one. Uh, what um, what are those called? Just a paper cutter? Paper? paper cutter, probably. Yeah, those are pretty terrifying. Though, I actually have a story about one of those where I, I did see someone kind of gash their finger one time. I was going to ask a follow-up if you would have said they cut their finger off. But if they just got a cut on their finger, I'm not so interested. Have you ever seen somebody lose a limb? I have twice in my life. In my former life as a reporter, covered a story, covered two stories in which a person got sucked into a tree uh, shredder. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not laughing, but. That was the most brutal looking fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I don't. Twice. Like, I, I don't have a fear of like, you know, getting put into a garbage truck or, or anything like that. But man, a tree trimmer. I mean, with me, though, the tree trimmer is going to – it's going to have to work. It's going to have to make its money on me. Think about that, but, though, dude. But That thing's going to go through you like you at a buff- like you at a fucking cheap buffet. Which don't even exist anymore. Thank you, COVID. I know. I know. Ruined buffets for you. Could you imagine getting sucked into a fucking tree shredder? No, I couldn't, and I don't even want to think about it. That would probably be the most – the fewest seconds of sheer terror anyone could ever expect because you know what's fucking coming. I mean, at least, though, it would be um, – well, yeah, the te- the terror before would be insane. But I also think you shut your eyes, you start to feel the pain, then you're dead. You're probably dead before the pain even registers, I would think. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't think that you would be like, oh, it's in my ankles, it's my knees, it's my thigh. Like, you're just by the time you even realize what's happening, you're probably dead. My God, how many people do you think in history that's just the way that they've been disposed of? Probably a lot. Probably thousands, if you think about it. Yeah. Like, if you spread that across the world, you're probably talking about thousands of people who have been killed by tree shredders. Oh, my God, that's like an ultimate fear of mine to get sucked in a fucking tree shredder. Well, this uh, this this episode really went from uh, wow. We're all over the board yeah. today. You got to watch out for tree shredders, man. Yeah, I mean the only other thing would be like a letter opener or like an envelope opener, but uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, for you, I'm so, I'm surprised you didn't put your samurai sword on. Oh, dude, we did. We left out swords all to get. Well, I mean, my samurai sword is pretty dope, but <laughs> it's definitely not. Is it out? Is it out? Is it out of the back of your car yet? No, it's still in the back of my car. Jesus, should probably should probably move that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I should probably get that out of the, out of the hands of my children. Okay, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave a review. We really appreciate it. We're also on TikTok now, and I hate to say this. TikTok's kind of cool. Even if you don't follow us or want anything to do with us, the creativity that comes out of it is is, it's pretty interesting. I hate to say that, but let us know what are your some what are, what are some of your favorite sharp objects. I don't think you can touch scissors or a kitchen knife, but that three through five level, ooh, that's up for debate right there. 